What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. The cat, a sensual shapeshifter, a beloved familiar, a canny hunter, aloof, tail slot, stalking vermin, a satanic accomplice, a social media darling, a euphemism for reproductive parts, an epithet for the weak. Cats and cat references are ubiquitous in art, pop culture, politics, and the occult, and throughout history, they have most often been coded female. So starts Cat Call, Reclaiming the Feral Feminine, a fascinating book by Kristen J. Soleil, a writer, curator, and educator who explores the electric intersections of art, sex, and a culture. She also lectures at the New School and across the U.S. and Europe on the sex-positive feminist history of the witch archetype and penned another popular book, Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive. It might sound a little cliche, but Kristen is the magic she explores. I say that with assuredness, having read her work and shared time with her here in the studio last month. I doubt many people would meet her without sensing more magic in the world and perhaps in themselves. We talked about her own journey, cat archetypes from the crazy cat lady to the sultry or slutty kind, words like pussy and what all of this has to do with empowerment. We also delved into sex magic and ways to use all things sexy about orgasm for much more than pleasure or connection. If this episode inspires you and you would like to learn about how to bring more orgasm magic into your life, please head to Beducated.com where you can take first-class online courses in your own bedroom. Beducated is offering $20 off their best-selling female orgasm online course for Girl Boner listeners. It's the course for vulva owners I reviewed in the Sexy Gifts episode, where I mentioned how much I appreciate the inclusive terms and the guided solo play audio session and the real people demos. Use the code GIRLBONER, no spaces, at checkout to save and get started. That's an over 40% discount, so you get the course for $29 instead of $49. If you're listening on a smartphone app, click the link in the show notes to go straight to the orgasm course, which can make a great gift, too. Now, I'm so pleased to share my chat with Kristen J. Soleil, followed by a short interview she inspired with our very own Dr. Megan Fleming. Megan's free pleasure challenge will launch soon and may be a great way to start exploring some of the orgasm magic you'll hear about today. Thanks so much for joining me, Kristen. Thanks for having me, August. You were really drawn to witches very early in your life. What are your first memories of witches? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty was my icon as a child. And I started my first book that is about that, sort of the intro of that. Um, if anyone reads introductions, sometimes they go to the first chapter. So they'd miss that part. But... Um, I just was not into Sleeping Beauty or, or Princess Aurora. It was all about Maleficent and her power. And, of course, it's a sort of limited kind of um, representation of womanhood. <laughs> and it's pretty misogynistic in many ways. But at that young age, I just sensed this otherworldliness and um, this channeling of divine rage or something like that. I love that concept. Yeah. Divine rage. <laughs> so that's probably what I picked up on. And her green face when she in her the purple, purple and green sort of different times depending on, you know, the lighting or, you know, what she's doing. Um, but, yeah, so there's videos of me as, at like four pretending to be Maleficent and just screeching around the house. And, um, yeah, so that was my first witch in that way. But my mom is also um, a witch and intuitive. So that's sort of part of my life, but not that kind of witch. (laughs) Did you always know that? Was she like when you knew about Maleficent, did you also? No, not at all. My mom just had sort of abilities and did practices that today are very much in line with what we call witchcraft. Um, But that word was not something that was okay to use back then for her. I mean, and of course, we're witch communities like 
since the 60s in America, um, maybe even a little bit before. But um, no, she was just more like, I'm an intuitive or this is the, the thing that runs in the family, this, you know, unspoken weird thing. So no, I didn't really connect the two. But now I'm like, oh, it was there all along. I just took me a while to figure it out, you know. And she's like, oh, yeah, why didn't we talk about this like that? But it was a different time. Totally. I've noticed that a lot of people who do identify as, as witches or really embrace um, witchery. Is that mm-hmm. the right word? Sure. Yeah. Witchcraft, <laughs> <That> witchery. <laughs> witchcraft is probably the right one. Um, also tend to be more sex positive, I would say, than the general yes. population. Did you have a sex positive upbringing? Hmm. Well, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there were aspects that were very much that. But then there was some, you know, Christian conditioning that lies in a lot of uh, even the most progressive folks' minds. Um, So I would say it was in some ways, but not in all ways. So I had to develop that on my own a bit, which is probably what led me into like thinking about sexuality a lot, because if you don't have some sort of pushback, maybe you wouldn't even think about it because it's naturally great. But if there is maybe some trauma or some restriction, you rage against it and you wonder, like, why is this here? I must fight it and understand, you know? More of that divine rage. Yes, lots of divine rage. Completely. (laughs) In your first book, you talk a lot about sluts and witches as archetypes, Yeah, a female sexual empowerment and and other types of empowerment as well. And you said that embracing these identities that have been forced on women and femmes can teach us that creating and reclaiming archetypes is a necessity. Absolutely. What do you mean by that? I mean, archetypes are usually like flattened versions of real lived experience. So that's problematic in a lot of ways, right? But at the same time, I think we can breathe life into them from our own experiences and use them to like as to move on from or to change or it's jumping off points, really. I think we're all looking for ways to identify who we are, what we are, who we want to be. And I think archetypes are useful in that. And it feels good to subvert an archetype that has like restricted you or even repressed you. So I think in that way, it can be really empowering to think about like the slut or the witch, you know, or the cat lady. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally. I know we both have identified with the cat lady, much yes. more more so you in amazing, beautiful ways. <laughs> um, but I've certainly felt a connection to Catwoman. And it's interesting because my relationship to her changed depending on how um, embracing I was of my own self and sexuality. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I shared a story about it uh, because when I was going through an eating disorder, I dressed up as Catwoman for Halloween as I had other years. Uh-huh. And I have since. And it, it used to be, initially, it was something that I felt I could connect better to my sensuality and parts of myself that maybe mm. I felt that I couldn't let shine. Yeah. And then I couldn't connect to her when I was really ill. Mm. And then far more so later. And I didn't really? think about that until your book. Really? Yes. That's really powerful. Very. And I guess it's some sort of like part of yourself you needed to reclaim or get back to in order to get back in touch with that Catwoman side. That's fascinating. I think so. I think so. And it's one of many reasons I'm grateful for your work. And I find it really fascinating that cats are so intertwined and linked with our ideas around women's sexuality, feminine sexuality. And yet... I hadn't really thought how many examples there are Mm. and to what kind of extent and where that all came from so much. And it's just in the first few pages of your book, I started going, oh, my goodness. It's almost it's like this (laughs) most obvious thing that I I just wasn't really looking at. Yeah. And you even point that out in the book that once you start becoming aware or just acknowledging, oh, you see it everywhere. Yeah. I feel like that might be my superpower is I'm not necessarily doing anything groundbreaking in a way. I feel like there's a lot of obvious things, but if you just like tie them together, like I feel like a curator of ideas in that way. And I'm like, check it out. I, I you know, <laughs> I linked them together or I made this weird Franken cake with all these different things. And then you're like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> so, that's one way. To, I love that you call your your work a Franken cake. Like it just because you have this humbleness about it. I think it is groundbreaking. Well, thank you. And we needed somebody to tie all of this together and and really understand um, the different layers to it. 
I think a lot of people, when they think about that, just on the surface level, you think, okay, so where does that connection come from? And we think pussy immediately. Yeah, right? absolutely. And then you wonder, well, why? Yeah. And I know the answer is not explicit. Like, we don't actually know, right? No, exactly. No, it's, it's the, yeah. That there are a couple of different uh, kind of theories, yes. right, about the roots right, of, right, of right, that right, right. word. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, let's see, without consulting my book. Let's see what I remember. So there are a few linguistic links. Um, uh, I think puss means pouch in Old Norse, or I believe. Um, and then um, what else <laughs> linguistically? But I mean, as far as in the quote unquote Western world, we had since the time of Aristotle, the association between um female sexuality and women and cats and then there's this association between the uterus and cats so that is already um bubbling (laughs) under the surface or not so much under the surface like you know greek philosophers like writing about this um in the fourth century bc so yeah the association between cats and women um and femininity has been going on a while, so it's not that weird that suddenly we have, like, pussy as a term for vulva, vagina. I mean, it's kind of a catch-all, you know? What what does pussy really mean? Like, Right. I think some people would say it means vagina right. because some people also call all genitalia True. of a person with a vulva a vagina. Right, right. Um, I think, for me, I think of vulva. right. I, I don't know. I don't know if there is. Right. Like a, that's so funny. Pussy is not sort really... of it's still nebulous. And yeah. the interesting thing about the linguistic part is that um, puss was also uh, we could talk about feminine men back then. And obviously, like in their terms, they're talking about cis men, of course. So we're talking about people with penises, like being you know pussies too. And like so if they're flamboyant, exactly, or in exactly. So right. Um, so, yeah, it's fascinating how it's always been femininity, not necessarily even genitalia, like True. the cat connection. So in that way, when I was writing this book, like there's a lot of connections to cis women, of course, but it sort of transcends that. And it's all femininity, which is what I loved writing a book, you know, writing uh, and thinking about these topics so much because it like transcends the binary in a way that we can talk about cats and pussy and what felininity means (laughs) (laughs) completely and we don't have again it's similar to the word slut we don't have this male equivalent or this masculine equivalent i've never heard of anyone calling all men like oh he's you know i really want that lion or that elephant or i don't know i mean dogs but they're not really oh yeah that's the closest that's interesting yeah Yeah. it's not used as much no they will say men are dogs (laughs) yeah that's true yeah which does that come from if a woman is a cat then a dog is a man and dogs and cats like you know what's interesting i didn't study the like origins of the dog man connection but i analyzed them after i did all that you know, discussion of cats and women, I had to go into dogs and men. But I didn't really look as to why. It kind of makes sense that the cats and women came first and then that was the inverse or something. I don't know. Yeah, I was reading this article by Gigi Engel about the reclaiming of pussy. Mm -hmm. And she talks about some of the same history that you bring up in your book. She also talked about her conclusion basically as she was researching this was that the term was not kind of sexualized or mm-hmm. used primarily for something related to sex and and women or femmes until porn really hmm. like took flight with that interesting is that something that's come up in your study do you have any thoughts on on I that i didn't um find that actually that that's not really where my research took me but that's interesting i do go into a a body ballad from the 15th century or 16th i forget now it's in the book but my brain sometimes doesn't keep all the dates i do the same thing um, i'm like i wish i had just like photo memory right people are like but you wrote the book about it and i'm like but i i don't memorize millions of words facts. many years ago right <laughs> but anyway it, it it's a body ta- a tavern ballad where they think the first time pussy was used and it's about uh, a young woman who's married to an older man and he can't satisfy her. So she goes to a younger man and he satisfies her pussy. 
And it's like, and like he pets it and makes it purr or something like that. So would that be where the term sex kitten came from? Probably also. Yes, for sure. And then I think about like heavy petting. That's such a like animal thing too. Oh, it totally right? is. Um, but that's, I mean, clearly that that was porn of the past, right? Like these body ballads. So that makes total sense that our in contemporary culture, like pussy would be part of porn. And that's what brought it into the like popular parlance. I yeah. don't know. I want to read that article now. Yeah, I can send you a link oh, to it great. for sure. In, and you spoke to sex workers for your book. A lot, yeah. And interviewed many people, including sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people that you interviewed, a porn performer, Arabelle Raphael, mm-hmm. um, called cats the aspirational sex worker. Mm-hmm. They make you work to get it. Mm-hmm. Such an interesting concept, too. Yeah, there was so much. I put out a call to, like, sex workers who wanted to talk about cats and their work, and there were so many. It was really hard. I mean, that could be its own book that someone should write one day, you know, because cat was a synonym for sex worker, like, hundreds of years ago. And the cats were uh, the symbol for sex work in, like, Renaissance paintings at a certain point, where if you saw a cat, it'd be like, oh. Like, if the cat was in the room you know that this woman is either a sex worker or someone of ill repute, uh, like highly sexual or inappropriately sexual woman. So cats have been sta- Exactly. Yeah. Cats are sluts. And if there's a slut around, I mean, so if the cat, if there's a cat around, it means you're a slut. So, yeah, um, she talked so much about the cat being this icon of sex workers and, like, you know, sexual freedom and... Um, you know, just uh, this symbol of femininity and feminine sexual power that's hard to capture. You can't train it or tame it, really. It's always going to be one step ahead. And I love what my friend Jack the Stripper, Jacqueline Francis, says uh, about, like, strip clubs being like cat cafes. Like, you can't just, like, run up to a cat in a cat cafe and grab it and, like, start petting it. You know, you have to, like, let it come to you. And it's like there's consent almost with a cat. You know, it's like put your finger in front of its, like, near its face. It will sniff you. Maybe then it will rub its cheek against your finger. And then you will know it's okay to go forward. So I feel like cats have a lot to teach us about consent. They really do. They yeah. be great sex educators. Right? If you think about it. <laughs> I loved your chapter on the crazy cat lady trope. Oh, thank you. It was really fascinating. That was a fun one. Yeah, write. because the the idea that I think a lot of people have is that that means you're, it's like a straight person who is single, not by choice. Right. And kind of gathers a bunch of cats together. Right. You're so pathetic. No man will love you. You can't have kids, but a cat will love you, you know. Yeah. Or you're wasting all the time you could be spending on raising kids and like being a man's like wife slave or on cats. <laughs> yeah, completely. Um, what did you find most interesting about that content that people don't really realize? I think what I loved about uh, that, A, is that it goes back so far. I mean, in my research, um, I do see this connection and other people have you know, done this research as well. And that's why, in a way, I say, oh, I'm not groundbreaking. I'm always standing on the shoulders of some other great researchers before, which is what I mean in that way. But um, I found it really interesting that nuns were keeping cats in the 14th century. And that was like they were allowed to have a cat. So that's interesting. They're like an icon of single womanhood, right? But the real cat lady that we know came around, you can see her in the 18th century. And she's already sort of a subject of derision. And there's paintings of like old maids with old maids at a cat's funeral is one of my favorites. It's all these old ladies, each with a cat. One of them does not have a cat, but she has a tiny coffin that has a cat head on it. So and it's kind of like really directly connected, you can see, to the witch hunts because in the witch hunts, cats were assumed to be demonic familiars or entities that were or the form of witches, um, you know, if they were shapeshifting into cats in order to do harm. So there was that connection. And many cats were also killed along with the majority women who were put to death for witchcraft. Eighty to 85 percent of victims were women. Um, And so there's that cat woman connection, which then becomes the cat lady in a way, but it's defanged. So it's like for the age of reason, you know, it's the witch for the age of reason. So it's not, we're not like scared of the cat lady, but we do kind of hate her and she horrifies us in a different way. Right. Yeah. 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 I really appreciated that you brought up the mental health aspect because there's also stigma around somebody hoarding. 
Yes. Which is a psychiatric compulsion. Right. No one wants to do that. Right. Like, Those are people who need good. They're healthcare. trying to help themselves. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, I've never heard anybody talk about that before. I think that's such an important piece because it's layers of stigma there. Yeah. And like the crazy cat lady versus just cat lady. You know, there's the crazy cat lady is the, the one that people really use to like stoke fear about like gendered prescriptions and what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Completely. So. I, ha- I love this. I highlighted this sentence. You said, a feral feminine is a femininity that refuses domestication. To be feral is to be untamed, and to be feminine is to contain multitudes, which can but doesn't have to involve various modes of creation, adornment, caretaking, and intuition. There's so much depth here that gets, oh, the cat lady, mm-hmm. you know, just Catterday. Like, yeah. Which yeah. is fun. I, I like Catterday. Me too. <laughs> but it's just, it's interesting uh, that as with witches, yeah, that there's there's so much beneath that surface, and not even beneath. It's almost like there's this this mask, this mm-hmm. superficial, untrue mask. Yes, that when we really start looking into it, I mean, that's that's a beautiful thing. Could you talk a little bit about that that feral femininity yeah. and, and how you kind of came to that? Yeah, it was term. kind of I wanted to have my thesis point and like name it there's an energy that sort of led me to write this book and it's like an untamed femininity it's like looking to the cat as a aspirational model of defiance of patriarchal norms and um and oppression and restriction and so that that is what I sort of came up with and yeah there's like a wildness and um I think there's so much to learn from cats, like as animals, all of them, all the feline family. So yes. big ones too, big cats too, of course. So true. Yeah. yeah. Animals and, are incredible. Yeah. Um, and just going into history, like all the goddesses that are connected to felines, like whether they're like lions or tigers or cheetahs or lynxes, you know, there's a reason why those animals were believed to be so sacred. And, you know, they were personifications of different goddesses in particular, you know. And so I think it's like taking that through thousands of years of history and like how can we apply this in our lives? Like what is there for us to take from this animal and at the same time looking toward an animal is like inherently anti-patriarchal as I talk about because patriarchy is about domination about man above all so if you're like looking toward an animal for like insight or you know not subjugating the animal but like even putting it above you in a way to say oh what can I learn from you like I think that is so powerful uh, to, to combat this sort of you know like dominion or like the hierarchy that is inherent in yeah it's much more collaborative yeah and caring for species that are doing really wonderfully until we come in exactly (laughs) everything was fine until humans right (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure what's wrong with us yeah we really can learn so much from them I'm curious your your thoughts on the reclaiming of certain words like slut. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people have reclaimed slut and yeah. feel empowered by it. I personally have trouble for myself using it. Yeah. I respect other people's yeah. loving it. Um, but how do you feel about it? Yeah. Um, so I had this website for like six years called Sluttist. And it was a sex-positive feminist site, and all different kinds of folks contributed to it. And that's kind of how I ended up writing my first book, which is Sluts Feminist. But... Um, I always identified with the term, but at the same time realized that, A, that's like a privilege in a lot of ways because I'm white and I'm, you know, middle class and all these things. It's like easier to like take that on and put it off when I feel like being professional and like now I'm not a slut. Now I'm a slut, you know. So I realized that and I think, you know, it's it's important to dig into who can like uh, wear and then discard the signifiers of slutdom. Um but at the same time, I know people from all backgrounds who totally love slut and embrace it. And so it's at the same time, you know, it is like an egalitarian movement to reclaim slut. It's not just like white middle class, like cis women or whatever, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it's good to see it from all sides and there's problems. And yeah, sometimes you, it, it's I've been in, you know, situations where I have been assaulted because people assume things about you. So it's a dangerous thing to identify 
as a slut even on the internet you know today like people see an image and that's like oh that means I can do this to you or do that to you or talk to you like this or say I'm sure you know that <laughs> very well I'm like nodding so yes. hard my head's gonna fall off. so yeah. yeah I've always been like a strong advocate for it but at the same time like it's only right for certain folks. And the whole point of the ad- advocacy is so everyone can identify and be in their sexual power, however that, you know, feels good. If it's like asexuality, if it's like super slutty, it's like whatever. We should. It's like a basic human right that we should all have sexual expression. Absolutely. Right? So I think yes. that's what the power of slut is. And it's not just like everybody be a slut. I mean, that's so whatever. It doesn't work that way. Right, it's right. And it's a big misperception, too, that sexual empowerment is all about being, quote unquote, like as slutty as you can be, right. as much sex as you could have. No. Because, again, as you mentioned, it's also embracing asexuality as a very legitimate thing. Yeah. You know, it's um, and you can, you know, I know sex educators who rarely ever have sex. Yeah. You know, it, it's not about that. Our sexuality is so much more than and a lot of times people who are making that assumption or, or hearing that, the people spreading that message are, they associate sex with a very heteronormative type of exactly. sex too. And right. then it's all about penis and vagina. Yes. And that's all there is. And that's what sex is. And everything else is either non-sexual or foreplay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so complex. And I think most people who study this and are in this realm get that. But to the general public, there's just so many misconceptions about what it means and completely and people yeah. many people have really good intentions and just don't don't even know that they themselves are judging for example a woman who's who's having sex with multiple people yes um, in a different way than yeah. they would judge a man who has yes. multiple partners because they learned that boys go out and they, they'll be boys right. and they'll sow their oats in as many seeds as possible right right <laughs> and that the woman is just like you know shy and has to give up right. the cookie at the right and time nest and like whatever yes. i hate that fucking term i totally <laughs> hate that term as well i'm not a bird right <laughs> like right birds are wonderful too yeah, exactly. but that's I'm not, not us nesting whatever <laughs> yeah uh, completely yeah it's it's a fascinating uh subject and world to th- to think about but i mean at this i think the number one thing is as much restriction as there is now i still love digging into history in a way to see oh my god we have come far in certain respects you know absolutely because we really have that is good very good yeah we've definitely made progress and there's more work to do but well i'm also talking about i guess like america for a certain population because there are people that are still suffering so like horribly under like sexual uh, oppression and things like that. Absolutely. Another word that um, people seem to have mixed feelings about is cougar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed Candace Bushnell. Oh, awesome. Uh, She has a new book about um, it's called Is There Still Sex in the City? And it's like middle age sex. Interesting. And uh, there's a big theme of like cougars and cubs mm-hmm. and uh and it was interesting a couple of people in response you know said to me that they middle-aged women in the two cases i'm thinking of both said that they didn't they didn't like the term cougar mm. themselves because they felt like you know because if a if a man is older than a woman right in a straight relationship you're just like oh normal right totally <laughs> if you're an older woman you must be an anomaly therefore we need to make you an animal name right. or like or right. is it the is it that and or does it have anything to do with the idea of we still have trouble kind of blending this idea of women as sexual beings. So mm-hmm. if she's sexual as an older woman, she can't be a woman. She has to be like mm. a beast or I don't know. That's this fascinating. Just yeah. Curiosity. I mean, I think that's the same thing as like an older woman being a witch or something, you know? I mean, older women are quite a problem in our culture and as far as people don't know what to do with them, you know? And so I, that's a really interesting – yeah, I think it, it has to – there has to be some other angle – another attribute sliced on top and the witch, you know, that's the supernatural angle. And then the cougar is just like the animalistic angle, which is in a way is very similar, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, I interviewed a a self-defined cougar, uh, Corby, who has a band called Cougar also in the book. And she talks a bit about that. And uh, we were at the AVNs and she was interviewing all the cougar and MILF porn stars. And um, 
yeah, she was saying like, you can't be a cougar till you're 40. Before that, you can maybe be a puma or something. So after 40, rules. you can be though? Yes. That's like the, you. Ha- that's like baseline 40. So you have to be 40 and there has, does it have to be a certain amount of age gap or could it be I just like 39? that. You mean like a 40-year-old woman dating what a 39-year-old man is a great... <laughs> <laughs> I have to dig into that. Actually, I don't know the rules, huh. but uh, it is fascinating, yeah. and I, I I really have more to think about. Like now that you brought that up about the yeah, why do we have to add that animalistic like overtone? It can't just be an unnamed right. thing. But everything women do is some weird named right. the way women talk. It's like up talk, vocal fry. Like there's <laughs> no words for the way men talk right. unless they sound a little feminine. effeminate. You're right. Then yep. they have yeah, they have all those issues. You're right. Just like if you exactly. the term slut. Yes. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. A, a, a whore slutty guy is yep. quote unquote like. You know, he's the fag, gay, yep. blah, yep. blah, blah, really derogatory exactly. um, uses of those words for sure. Yeah, it's fascinating. So you went to a cat convention. You've also been to porn conventions. Yes. Tell us about. <laughs> yeah. But interestingly, at first you said, oh, they couldn't be more different. Right. But you found all kinds of parallels. Yeah. And that was like when I was writing that, because um, I went to CatCon, which is like the biggest cat convention. It was in Pasadena. And they they have it every year. And then I went to the AVNs in Vegas. And, um, you know, I think both of them are things that when I told people I was going, either one, it's like, ew, weirdo, or, oh, my God, that's so cool. It's like either one, you know, either you're a total nerd or a creep for either going to either one, you know, because <laughs> like, ew, cat convention, what kind of creeps are there? Is you that know? because they're thinking cat convention, Courting cat lady? No. No, They are thinking like, because it's like uncool to be a cat lady or like being so into animals is weird or something. I feel like there's not the same stigma about dogs. No. People. Which is the term that we do sometimes use for guys. That's so interesting. Like if I, because I I love, love dogs. I love all animals. Yeah. I'm super into dogs and I've never once felt judged for that. Yeah, no, because you bring them out everywhere. You can bring them to restaurants. You can do all kinds of things. If your dog dies, people will totally be like, oh, my God, your best friend died. If your cat dies, people that don't understand cats are like, what? It just sits in your house. Like, what? It's like a fish or something. You know, people, you have the same kind of relationship. Okay, you can't always bring it everywhere. That's different. But there's still so much stigma about, like, cat loving. Even though their personalities are just as different as dogs, I find. Exactly. I think it's also because the cat hoarding is a real thing. And so people think of loving cats as there's a mental illness stigma, right, that comes in. And it's like, oh, if you start loving cats, you're going to go down. No one says that about dogs. Although I'm sure there are people that are hoarders and are mentally ill that have a ton of dogs. Right? Yeah. What I hear, I've heard horrible stories about, you know, there'll be a dog rescue where they went into a hoarder's home. But no one's ever saying the crazy dog person Mm-mm. who was hoarding dogs. They just say it's a hoarder who also has a lot of dogs. Right. It's yeah. talked about differently. Yeah. They even have more of like humanity in that sense. They're like a person who happens to have like issues and has too many dogs, you know, versus the crazy cat lady with yeah. 50 cats. Yeah. I've also heard that there's stigma around, I don't know if, yeah, I guess stigma is the right word, but some people don't want a black cat because they're not oh, yeah. as like photographable. Oh. Really, I don't know that. Yeah, I, I, you I read something <laughs> about this. I should have I should have read the article again before I came in. But something about, and I don't know if this applies to black dogs, but because they're harder to photograph, you don't get as many likes on Instagram. That's what that I read. is ridiculous. Okay, the fact that you would care, like that is the worst. People it is are the right. Worst. <laughs> <laughs> we'll share some happy news too, y'all. <laughs> But I didn't. Yeah, I was really. That just made me want to just celebrate black cats more than ever. Seriously, because black cats though do have some stigma yes. about being more evil, right? Yes. So that they yes. cross your path and this whole thing, right? Because even um, in ancient, by the time like after Aristotle, but there were like some. There was a play that mentioned a black cat crossing the street, and it would be an omen of like, you know, uh, misfortune coming. So even then, there was that association. But at the witch. Hunts were really the time when we began to associate cats with evil, and black was associated with evil. So bring them together, evil underworld cat. Then you is know. that because witches? I mean, we see witches on broomsticks with a cat, <laughs> um, but witches in the more realistic sense of who witches are. Mm-hmm. Do witches also enjoy cats? Do they tend to have cats? Is that a real? 
Yeah, I mean, contemporary yeah. witches, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think contemporary witches have all kinds of animals, but particularly there is that association between a cat and witchcraft um, because of that history and also maybe because cats um, just are thought to have more of a link to other realms. I mean, all animals do, but cats particularly, I think there's just that because they can see in the dark so well and there's just like things they can perceive that, you know, are not what humans can perceive. And so being can... sneaky, a little yeah, more mischievous. Exactly. Which those are the things that I've always loved about Catwoman. Yes. The smarts and the slyness yes. and the like, the dominating, just so crafty. Yeah. Yeah, which are really positive things. I know. Yeah. Cats can get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> very, very smart. Yeah. Which, I don't know, maybe some of the fear also. Totally. Comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. Cats know what's what you're thinking, and they don't need you. Like the dog, I, dogs are so sweet, and I l- can't imagine. Like I've had t- friends who have had dogs and spent a lot of time with them, but like I can't imagine an animal wanting so much from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they are so yeah. They tend to be very very dependent on you, right? Which is the opposite. Cats, like if you you know, like you can't hang out with them all day. They don't want to hang out with you all day. Like, they want their own space and their own time. Are they introverts or is that also, are animals, are animals introverted versus extroverted in general? I think it depends on the animal. But yeah. yeah. For sure. I, I've had introverted cats and extroverted well, cats. Because there's some cats that are more pack cats, right? Yeah. But you've personally had cats that were more one or the other? Yeah, yeah. Well, more like outgoing, friendly, wants to hang out with whoever comes in. And then if there's strangers, some of the other cats would be like, oh, I'm hiding. I don't want to. Only, like, one person, you know? Yeah. So, or to be alone. Like, don't touch me. I'm just, like, hanging out over here, <laughs> like, having my, my time. Do you feel that these archetypes um, and and cats and all the ideas that we're talking about with sexuality and uh, really embracing our, our own sexuality, do you feel that there can be positive intentional uses of kind of these tropes, archetypes, whatever you want to call them? Yeah, with the cat lady, for sure. And there's so many people that are reclaiming that. I mean, I know CatCon was started, I think, by the one of the women who started it um, said in an interview with the Boston Globe that she had seen that prejudice against being a cat person. So that started that. And now it's so much more normalized to just like – and um, Brianne Wills, who I interview in the book, she has a book called Girls and Their Cats, and she has a photo series. Um, it's stunning. So she just goes to the different houses of different women who have rescue cats and interviews them, talks about the relationship, takes pictures. They're incredible. And it's it's sort of like a badge of honor. It's like a beautiful thing to have a cat, particularly women with cats, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's way less negative for a certain section of the population. Just like right. feminism is popular with a lot of people now but doesn't mean there aren't tons and tons of people who think that's horrible or stupid or misguided so probably around the same thing like that yeah 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 that is similar and i i do think after sharing that really awful instagram information i also think that social media has been very positive for animals in general yeah and to celebrate cats and and all all animals but you find community too oh yeah and community is so powerful in resisting those those stigmas changing people's views you know because it's very similar to other kinds of discrimination where if you don't know any if you've never known a cat you've never known a person who loves cats Mm -hmm. then you might just think that those you know the stereotypes you've heard are true yeah that you must be like never known a feminist i keep thinking of sex toys (laughs) like it's so similar yeah like there's a stigma around someone who has sex toys right lonely yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know and also that's a really good parallel animal themes of of toys especially for people with vulvas it'll be like oh my goodness somebody sent me (laughs) to review which i haven't because i i only reviewed toys that i would want people to buy of course um, and there there may be a use for this, and certainly there's no judgment if someone hears about this and they're like, oh, that sounds amazing. But it's a teddy bear that vibrates and you sit on its face. Mm. And it just felt, <laughs> I mean, the idea of it, I couldn't, I, I haven't used it. But just how everything has to be this cute, fuzzy animal yeah. thing. Like everything has to be, uh, you know, pink and um, here's your bunny. And <laughs> that is Hilarious. I mean, I feel like that would work with like 
you know, kinky folks are into age play or whatever. But if it's not marketed like that, and it's then it's kind of odd that yeah. they're marketing that right? to women. Like the one thing I thought was if you have to hide your toys because that's bad. you live in like a really religious place. Oh, that's good. Then you could hide the toy as it's my bear. Oh, okay. So if you have one, <laughs> there's maybe is there a kitty? Needs- I wonder if there is. Teddy bears. I always wanted a stuffed kitty. Really? Even when you were a kid. Hey, sex toy maker, I will buy your (laughs) stuffed kitten vibrator. There's so many wonderful marketing opportunities with all the. Do you know Smitten Kitten? No. Fabulous sex uh, toy store and resource in Minneapolis. It's wonderful. But I thought of that as I was going through your book. Just the again, there are just so many examples. Yeah, cats and sex. It's just like you can't. I mean, I did some of my research was so fun, like going to different like kink retailers and just seeing how many cat themed things were in there you know it's kind of wild that would be an interesting study to release just to see the numbers like I want a meme of that seriously (laughs) yeah what's something that's been especially empowering in your own sexuality journey hmm I think to answer that in the nerdy professorial writer way it's just learning about how people have overcome uh, sex negativity in the past or how much there was and how deeply, like, learning about the witch hunts, like, women that would be burned alive for (laughs) teaching someone about, you know, well, that's, like, reproductive rights, but, like, any, you know, sharing information about sexual health. And um, or just saying no to a man and then being murdered. Things, obviously, that still happens around the world very much. But all these things for me, given the privilege that I have, just thinking, like, as I said earlier, like standing on the shoulders of all the people who did this work before. So that's been really empowering. And whenever I feel like lazy or self-deprecating or like, uh, what's the point? You know, it's like, yes, we have to keep going. So, you know, someone else can stand on my shoulders and keep going and hopefully the earth will last that long. <laughs> you I hope know, so too. We can I hope so too. Continue this wave because obviously with like Fosta Sesta and all the ways like uh sexuality is being cracked down not only for sex workers but all sexual content on the internet, I feel like there's this threat of a new wave of sex negativity and stigmatization that is just so dangerous and people are already dying because of it and it's so horrible so it really is and we have fewer states require sex ed at all right than a few years ago even accurate sex ed yeah it doesn't have to be (laughs) medically accurate which is like hysterical when you think about it but also so devastating but also just think about that like if you went to a do you want your doctor any any other topic, someone's going to teach you about, you know, um, math. Right. And you could just kind of be creative. I mean, yeah. I would have liked that because I'm Me not too. really a math person. Me neither. Um, so if I could have just like thrown in some cats, that would have right. been fantastic. Right. Two plus two equals cats. Right. Um, but it's that, that's it's that goofy. how bad it is. And yeah. yet it's okay. Well, that's just like religion. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Christianity and, you know, the Abrahamic, all most religions are sex negative to the core. They are. So. And it's unfortunate that the options that are more sex positive because in every denomination you can find communities oh, of course sex yes. positive you know yes. for my book i interviewed a sex positive um priest oh, yeah, and, the, oh my and God, therapist and yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. which is it's one of my favorites because it i feel like we have this idea that you you can't be religious and or spiritual unless you also kind of like close the door on sexual freedom absolutely and that's really not true no way yeah. I think that's important to talk about, too, because in my I teach a class on the legacy of the witch and, you know, uh, sex positive feminism sort of in a, together. And there's a lot of negative things about Christianity we talk about. But then we do talk about in the class, like, why do we even have religions? It's all about not some people make religions to control people. But obviously there's like community and there are reasons why some of these like structures and organizations exist. And it is to like, you know, be stronger in numbers and like learn from one another. And there are like sects and groups and individuals that are sex positive, even in Christianity. It's true. Yeah. And (laughs) if you think about the tenets of many of them being about peace and love and um, and well-being right, and right. and even spells and things like that. Yeah. How different is that from praying? Yeah. You know, it's I mean, all it's vision it's boards, manifestation, yeah. thinking about the universe, quote unquote. It's all like 
you know, sort of a connectivity, like yeah. even blowing out a candle on your birthday. Like, you know, that's like making wishes and putting right. intentions out and yeah. everyone does that, you know. Completely. Yeah. There are ways to, to find your find your way. And, yeah. and to I think it can be a struggle to feel like the parts that you do appreciate about your religion or whatever community you're in that's repressive. Yeah. To feel like mixed feelings about, you know, you don't want to leave that. Right. Um, especially if these are people that you really care about right. and, you know, because there is good there. Yeah. Um, but but knowing that you can supplement and or shift yeah. to another community. Well, there's that's what a lot of witchcraft communities do well, I think, because you can be in other religious communities and be a witch too. So I feel like obviously there's still sex negativity and oppression and within witchcraft communities there's always sexism somewhere, but there's less of it, you yes. know, for the most part, I feel like very welcoming, sex positive, just like you said in the beginning. I truly feel like I don't know many repressed witches. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is a whole other topic, but I wonder if just briefly you could speak to this, the idea of sex magic mm -hmm. and yeah. people finding their empowerment and their orgasms mm -hmm. through through this sex magic. Yeah. Kind of what is that? And maybe could you give us an example? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of sex magic practices and so many different uh, initiated paths and um, uh, religions even, you know especially more archaic ones. Um, but sex magic can be anything that harnesses like the energy you raise through uh, sexual excitement or arousal because it doesn't even have to be orgasm. But let's say if we go to orgasms, that's a powerful release. There's so much focus there. A lot of people find it really useful to harness for spell work. And I definitely got both my book deals through sex magic. And Did you? Yeah, for sure. Intentionally? Yes, yes. That's amazing. That seems to be the kind of ritual work that works for me. I've done a lot of spell, and you never know. Things don't work out for your better good. Sometimes you, you know, do spell work or rituals for something. You don't get it. It doesn't mean it didn't work. You know what I mean? Again, like, like prayer. Exactly. <laughs> you don't get to, right. you know. Who knows how this shit works? I don't know. Right, you're Even putting something the out there. placebo effect, which is real. The human brain is so powerful. Like, and if it what? helps you, yay. Exactly. If you feel good in the process, that was good enough, you know? Right. And, and if there's more, even better. Yes. There's more. But anyway, more. Um, yeah, so I would say for people who are interested in it, uh, solo sex magic is the best way to start because when you involve someone else, there's someone else, you know, there's issues of consent and like, what are your goals? Are they the same? You know, it's like syncing up a lot of energy and stuff. So for me, it's always been like, focusing on something and sort of channeling that into the orgasmic process. This sounds so fun. Yeah, because it's like you're going to jerk off anyway. Just put some goals in there. I'm very, it's very Capricorn of me. I'm like, I'm going to make even my sex life, you know, work. <laughs> I'm a Sagicorn, so I feel you. I'm right on the cusp. Okay. Yeah. So Happy birthday then? Just about, yeah. Awesome. Yours? Uh, December 28th. Awesome. Yeah, yeah we're very close. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome. So you set an intention mm -hmm. that you you hold yeah. with you during and, your solo Right, and play. you know you can only think of like one thing kind of when you're getting off. You can't think of a thousand things. That's why sex is great, right? Yeah, it's so zen. Yeah. It's it's way better than meditation, in my opinion, for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's its own kind of meditation. It totally you know, changes is. changes your brain chemistry. Yeah. It's like the same things yeah of, same kind of hormones wash over your brain right so completely so yeah I mean there's so many ways to do it and I would say I have a couple of friends who've written about sex magic in books and things that are coming out in the future you know there's more and more of this is coming out in the like sex positive and witchcraft community intersection um a lot of articles online if you search sex magic uh I think like Sophie St. Thomas is writing a book on sex magic and awesome. she wrote a great piece for broadly a couple of years ago that interviewed me about how I got my book deal with sex magic. Which That's is amazing. Like, Do you say yours out loud, your intentions? Um, or you just, no. I know there's no wrong way. I'm just Yeah, curious. there's there's so many different ways. Like you could, if you're into like candle carving, you, there's so many different practices. There's sigil magic where you could, you know, write a sentence that's what you want and then you sort of create it into a sigil using the letters. You create a pictorial representation where the, like the sentence it becomes that image and then you can uh, masturbate like charging that, you know, with like stare at that right when you're climaxing and then that 
can be burned or you can carry that around. It, there's so many ways to do it. It's like I would say for everyone, read a bit about it, see what resonates. But it's really like what feels right for you in a way, because I don't think there's a really wrong way to do it. Well, the wrong thing would be try to like, you know, use other people without their consent. So that's not good. Or like the old school sex magic would be like put your menstrual blood or your sexual fluids in someone else's food and you'll be bound <laughs> together forever. Don't do that. But it's very it was very popular. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yes. Please don't do that. Um, but this sounds really fascinating. And the timing is interesting because I, I have a proposal out on submission Ooh. that was supposed to go out. And then there, a pause button was hit. And then I'm talking to you. So I'm like, oh, maybe this is the universe telling me to masturbate to it. There you go. And, the, yeah, there's a, it's a win-win. No matter what, there's like, no like, what's the worst could happen? You will <laughs> feel pleasure. You will feel revitalized after. And yeah, it's just an easy way to not. I feel like with a lot of ritual and spell work, it's, there's just so many. For me, I can start thinking about, oh, I need to go to the grocery store. What element, like, uh, you know, what other things are going on in my life I need to think about? But when you're masturbating, you don't have those thoughts. So yeah. I think you can really channel like get to the heart of your intention and what you want to get done way better than even a lot of rituals which are fun but they sometimes I'll still catch myself like floating off with my with my mind even if it's in a you know really a beautifully done ritual I think masturbation is the only time when I'm not you know diverted in some way so right and there's something about you know they talk about visualizing and putting intentions out there so much of the reason I think that that works with this law of attraction is because it's your, it's the way you're seeing the world. So when you're setting an intention, it's you're planting all these seeds in your own mind so that you're going to carry it with you. So I can imagine yeah. bringing that orgasmic power into it, yeah. which is some of the most intense power that there is. Right. Why not? Yeah. That's that's really cool. Or literally at our fingertips. <laughs> literally at our fingertips. <laughs> What do you most hope people take away from your your books, particularly your latest cat call? Hmm. I think that we are in crisis as humans. And so looking to other forms of intelligence, particularly animals, um, it would be really wise at this moment. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, we need to keep reframing these feminine archetypes that have been so constraining and so damaging to so many women and feminine folks, you know, and femininity as a whole for centuries, millennia. So all of that and more. And I hope you, you know, I hope people like laugh and have a good time too, because it's all serious and can be very horrible to think about. A lot of the subjects I delve into are very depressing, but at the same time, I think you can still find pockets of joy and excitement oh, and electricity in there. And you tell it in a way that it's a scholarly book that that reads in a in a somewhat conversational. The prose are really beautiful, but oh, it's also you. like a it's I don't think it would be intimidating to someone who's not used to reading about research, for example. Oh, yeah, I want to be really accessible. That's yeah. my number one goal. Because that more people who can read and understand and get down with it, the better, right? Yeah, absolutely. How can people learn more and follow your work? Hmm, I think I do most of my posting about what's happening on my website and Instagram. So that's Kristen Soleil, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-O-L-L-E.com or Kristen Corvette, Corvette with a K, like the car, which I don't have, but maybe one day. Or the big to it. cat painted on the front. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally going to go jerk off to that now. Kristen Corvette on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Is anyone else stoked to have a spicier take on vision boards and visualizing to dip into now? I also highly recommend both of Kristen's books. Next, I'm excited to share a quick Skype chat I had with Dr. Megan the other day. Before we get into your pleasure challenge, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on pairing orgasm with intentions that aren't necessarily directly related to sex? Well, I think there's something to be said about any time, you know, an intention, the clarity of the intention. Um, and then when we're pairing it with orgasm, it's just the recognition. If you think about vibrational levels and, you know, higher, low vibrations, like even emotions, like depression is a, you know, low vibration, um, joy, you know, vigor, enthusiasm, excitement, arousal, those are all higher vibrations. And so 
um, you know, and it's also, you know, it's what we know from hypnosis, which is um, hypnosis really what we say is focus concentration and the impact of that, because it's like, if you think about it, if you could capture, you know, sunshine is amazing and bright, but when you capture a ray of it, like with a mirror, you can actually burn hole through paper, right? Like that's how, if you can concentrate the power um, of sunlight and the same thing with our concentration, we, you know, when we really zone in on something, it really does have the capacity to penetrate our subconscious at a much deeper level. Do you have any ideas as far as uh, like a practical step or maybe an activity? As you know, I've been really inspired by this whole idea. And so, for example, I want to do things with solo play that um, really focuses on some of like, for example, my my intentions for the year. Um, are there things that you would recommend as options for people who are brand new to this and they want to, to try pairing these things, whether it's specific rituals or things they can kind of bring into the bedroom? Well, I, I get excited by just the idea of experimenting and trying, right? Just the, the, the mindset and if we can approach everything with that sense of playfulness, curiosity, um, you know, looking for discovery. So, um, I don't know that there's one right way to do this. I mean, what would we know? We know that the foundation of arousal is relaxation, right? So think about your environment. What's the temperature of the room? You know, we might want to add in the candle, um, both from the lighting, low lighting perspective, but as well as like from an aromatherapy. I think really creating sort of the conditions, right, for your pleasure um, and for your mind to sort of, through your pleasure, to um, have a real clear focus. That's such a that's good what idea. you're inviting. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thinking about it first from how can I relax and create this, the context. Yeah. The the conditions that you've talked about, which I think really ties very well into this pleasure challenge you're doing. Would you share why you're so passionate about it? Why did you decide to to create this now and and kind of for who? Well, I'm really excited about it. Um, In fact, you know, we, well, I shouldn't speak for everyone. I often, you know, I pick a word or a phrase or something that sort of is my inspiration for the year, my focus for the year. Um, and this year it is uh, pleasure and passion, right? Really, because I think so often what I really see is sort of a, almost like a, a crisis of sorts that women and men, but I, um, you know, especially for women, I find that they really struggle with stress and overwhelm and you know, not having the capacity to sort of enjoy everyday life, um, that women typically, you know, were raised to be caretakers and that sense of self-sacrifice as if there's actually, you know, that that's a good thing. Um, and in doing so, we often have such a difficult time allowing and receiving pleasure. And so, you know, I think that, um, it's so incredibly important that women, recognize and learn, and we can talk more about it, what are some of the blocks or barriers we've had traditionally, as well as how do we see the value? Because it's just like orgasms, pleasure, and how it affects our health, our well-being, our mood, our happiness, the quality of our relationships. It, you know, it's, it is like everything. And so um, I really wanted to create this challenge really to bring attention to the fact that I think as women, we are not prioritizing ourselves, we, you know, empowering us to focus on our pleasure and well-being and how in doing so, it's a win-win for everyone. So this is, I know it's free and it's nine days. What's the, what's the format? What will people, um, what can they expect from the challenge? So each day in the inbox, I'm going to be sending an email and we're going to be talking about, you know, I'll give you some information about the role of pleasure and the different kinds of pleasure because there's mental pleasures, emotional ones, sensual and sexual. And so each um, day there's going to be an email with a actionable sort of exercise, something that's not going to take a lot of time and isn't going to be expensive, but that is really going to, again, you're going to prioritize feeling and experiencing and um, again, mindfulness, just even noticing pleasure. And so the way it'll work is the first four days, each day you're going to get an email And then on day five, there's going to be uh, a Facebook Live, and it's an opportunity to be live with me, to answer any questions you have, to see what any blocks or barriers might be, how's it going. Um, And then following that, there will be um, three more days of the emails. And then finally, last day, day nine, will be yet again a live call, because I really want to 
see where people are at and what were their experiences, what were the things that they really have taken away, what are the things that their discoveries, right? Really helping them anchor um, the practices so that they have a clear plan and path to, you know, again, make pleasure non-negotiable in their life moving forward in 2020. I love that it starts out with these four emails that people can do work on their own with some guidance and then and then open up to this kind of group setting that's still private. I think that's really that's really great and that they can actually um, communicate with you because they hear from you so often and to be able to actually interact is, is really big. I imagine some people are kind of wondering about these exercises. Um, I know pleasure is the theme. Are they all sex related or is there is it more broad than that? It's going to be more broad because, like I said, there's mental, emotional. And so some of them will be, like, again, focusing on breathing. Like Again, the foundation of arousal is relaxation. So we got to create the conditions for being open to receiving pleasure as well. Um, so, um, but, like, it, there'll be, there definitely will be experiences for self-pleasuring, um, and I'll be more specific about that. But, again, recognizing that, you know, movement and our voice, like singing, that, you know, giving fun little exercises so that, um, again, people have the sense of how that, you know, intentionally engaging in a practice like that, Mm -hmm. how it spills over, you know, ideally into their day. Yeah, that's huge because the benefits are often surprising. You don't realize how much that kind of work can um, impact so many areas of life. And I'm guessing this is for people who are in relationships and people who are not. Absolutely. I mean, it's for, um, you know, again, I said, I think often women have their own sort of barriers to receiving pleasure, but that being said, men are also uh, welcome. You know, any, anyone basically is welcome, whether you're in a relationship or not. It's really just about, in my mind, it's like living your best life, right? And so um, how do we sort of prioritize the role of pleasure? And, you know, you often hear me say the role of self-care because self-care is not selfish, right? Like we have to learn how to resource ourselves so that ultimately we actually have more to give. But it really is to be more mindful and feeling the ability to, the simple pleasures in life that um, really having a practice where um, you're making time to notice those things and to really be more present um, in your life and in your experiences and feeling more sensation in the body. I think that so often women and men as well, but we're disconnected in some ways from our central selves and our bodies. And this is a huge thing for women in that, you know, our bodies is often a place of war, so to speak, right? Um, We have such uh, images, right, that of the ideal uh, figure and what quote unquote beauty looks like. And I think the part I really want to highlight is it doesn't matter what shape you are, what size you are, uh, what age you are, um, you know, whether your wrinkles or non-wrinkles, the whole point is that there is zero correlation to how your body looks with how much pleasure you can feel. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think really helping women get out of that critical negative thinking about their bodies, because the body is the place where we feel it's in the, it's in our embodied experience, right? That we feel pleasure. And so really addressing um, what, again, some of the blocks and barriers can be especially as we think about our bodies and how we think about our bodies. So that's actually going to be one of our experiences is, um, again, drawing our attention to what we love and appreciate about our bodies, sort of the strength, or it could be your eyes. But the whole point is what we focus on expands and what we resist persists. So I really want to help people see um, and learn what are some practices that we can consciously do so that again, we are inviting pleasure and focusing on what we want, right? And we want to expand versus Unfortunately, the negativity bias of the brain um, sort of unconsciously, you know, focusing on the problems, which, of course, only invites being better at thinking about problems. Yeah, totally, totally. And I love that you're focusing uh, in part on those, you know, what we, what we love about our bodies and that uh, because it's so important to know, as, as you mentioned, that pleasure is not correlated to, to what we look like. And yet, it's so hard sometimes to separate those things and we get this idea that we have to like love our body before we can have great sexual pleasure or pleasure in general, which is not true. <laughs> so I so appreciate that and I think that that can be so strengthening to do that work and then to let your body image improve as a sort of um, byproduct, which is so nice. 
would you share um, what how people can sign up? And I know they, they actually get a free gift even for signing up. Absolutely. So I would have people, um, I would love to have you join my challenge. Again, it's going to be nine days and it's going to be interactive and there'll be a private Facebook group for any questions you have. If you have them before we do, I do the lives. Um, so come to my website, great life, great sex and forward slash pleasure. You'll sign up. And when you do, you'll immediately get, um, it's called clitoral play seven techniques for mind blowing pleasure. So again, there's a theme here. I really want to focus on pleasure and all the different ways um, that we can experience it. Find that sign up link in the show notes or head to greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure. I signed up and would love to share the experience with you all. When you support Dr. Megan by engaging with her programs, you support me and Girl Boner too. So thank you for that as well. And for listening, have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.